Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Cale Guthrie Weissman, the editor here at Modern Retail, and I'm joined here with Sam Dunnigan, the founder and CEO of Strong Roots, a plant-based frozen food company. And I'm I'm really excited to talk this week about a few things. One, about uh, a business overseas expanding into the U.S. and how that's going amid all this crazy uncertainty. And then also just what it's like to be in the the plant-based space, because it's a pretty exciting time. Hey, Sam, how's it going? Hey, Kale, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you joined. So for for those of us who don't know, or I know I know a bit, but why don't you just go into exactly what Strong Roots is, how it started, the general genesis story? Sure. So uh, Strong Roots is a frozen plant-based food company. Um, my uh, origins are in the fresh produce industry in Ireland, where my family's business has been running a business for 40 years, which was 10 years of my career before starting this. And uh, while working there, I was constantly trying to create brands. I, I'm obsessed with brands and logos and telling stories in a creative way about food and talking about primary producers. And in the fresh produce industry, that's really, really difficult because the margins are really, really low. And uh, unless you've got a monopoly, it's it's kind of difficult to break through in that area, uh, much like here. Um, so in 2015, uh, having had the best training of all time with my, my dad and my uncle and the family's business, working across every single vertical within a kind of medium to large size company, I decided that I was going to step out on my own and uh, I took all of my you know, art school background and put together some packaging and a logo and and Strong Roots was born. And we launched a, a single skew of sweet potato fries into the Irish market, which was a first to market for the for the Irish people. And then things just developed from there. Wow. And so what was your did you have a general thesis for how you were approaching the UK? Was it just sort of product market fit? If they like it, we'll go from there. Yes, yeah, so we had a great trading ground in Ireland. Ireland is just off the coast of the UK, and it's really similar in terms of culture and people with, you know, specific differences, of course, like every country. But the UK is 65 million people and Ireland is like, you know, just above yeah. five. So our goals and ambitions were always to go to the UK um, for that bigger market. So using Ireland as a test market, which ended up being, you know, very, very uh, substantially positive for us, uh, we were able to test different types of food products before we stepped into that big market. We developed our, our sweet potato fries. We learned and understood the market for meat alternatives with our veggie burgers. And we realized that there was a huge opportunity for appetizers and snacks in the market as well. Wow. Um, all right. So can, can you just give a little description because I know nothing about this, but what is what is the steps to success in Ireland? How like is it? Are there how many different like wholesale distribution channels are there? Are you trying to get into one major supermarket? Sort of how did you approach that, and then how do you sort of replicate that for then say a, a bigger market like UK, and then go into the US? Sure, I mean it's it's a classic kind of case of small, medium, and and very large <laughs> when it comes to Ireland, UK, and the USA. And they've they've thrown up different, you know, scaling opportunities as well as challenges. Mm-hmm. In Ireland, you know, it's it's a much more simplistic market. It's consolidated from a retail perspective. You've got kind of three main channels of, uh, you know, convenience, um, main grocery and, and um, what they call symbol groups, which is, you know, owner operator um, store chains. 
in the UK, it's a much more consolidated model with much bigger players and more competition and a lot more stores. So in Ireland, there's like, you know, a total of 500 major retailer chains and then lots of, of convenience chains. And then there's, um, you know, over 10,000 in, in, in the UK and then a multiple of three or four again in, in, in the US. So um, each market is extremely different, but we've set out to be, you know, a global brand and mm. we, you know, we're able to welcome all of those changes because ultimately we're trying to be a household name for many as opposed to for few. So our supply chain and operations has been just as important as our product and, and sales management and, and innovation. Absolutely. Did you have you found that using Ireland as kind of maybe a beta test ground for for certain products has worked for all of your international expansions or sort of how have you gone in terms of product roadmap with with what's worked where? Yeah, so um, our existing range of products in the US, for example, uh, are all things that, you know, started out in the Irish and UK markets. Mm-hmm. Um Everything tends to start out in Ireland up until relatively recently, where we've been able to test things first in the US and first in the UK because of the consumer acceptance that we already know. Um, but for the most part, all of the existing core ranges started out in Ireland. And the good thing about consumer trends, and this is one of the reasons that we saw the opportunity for a new global brand from the outset, is that trends are emerging together globally as opposed to coming from you know western us from california because of the healthy living and lifestyle trends that have been there for years or food capitals of the world like london and new york where you know traditional trendsetters in 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 the culinary arts have been based now you know everywhere in the globe there's a chance for product innovation and as a result of you know the built-up uh, production and and supply chain networks that exist across Europe and across the US, things can get to market quicker. And as a result of, of you know, so you can now start in Ireland or start in, you know, France or the UK or, or the US and go to any market as long as it's fulfilling, you know, a true gro- global trend. In saying that, you know, I think the US market in particular is way more developed from a um, you know, a natural food perspective, especially where mm-hmm. brands are concerned. So the key difference between the US market and the UK and Irish market is the fact that private label is much stronger in natural foods in the UK and Ireland, whereas brands lead the way with natural food in, in the US. And that creates, you know, a lot of competitive differences. That's so interesting. It's really so I uh, I actually grew up as a vegetarian and I've been eating plant based, especially awesome. fr- uh, frozen foods for like literally my entire life. So I've I've always been fascinated with how it works in the U.S. and sort of what the ebbs and flows of the trends have been. And then I actually went to the U.K. Uh, la- late last year and I was sort of blown away with how they it, like plant like there have been there were so many plant based restaurants that seemed eons ahead of the United States, but it also was sort of a different way of approaching it. And so have you found that you've had to do like either tweak the products or do product translation in the US or has it just been, as you said earlier, more brand forward in the US as compared to the UK? Sort of how have you sort of dealt with the differing tones of the the different markets? That's so interesting that you say that, Kale, because I think the grass is always greener. You know, if you're from somewhere uh, and you're you're used to all of the offerings in an immediate area, and then you go somewhere new and you see something else. Uh, I guess you, you see that. No, I was just gonna say I was blown away by the 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 plant based. Um, what's the what's 
the chain where you can get morning pastries that they had a, a sausage one and I it was just like so good. Um, oh, Gre- Greg's possibly? It was Greg's. Yeah, Every yeah. morning I got like yeah. less than one pound Greg's pastry and I was like, this is in the United States. Yeah, like pastries and, and pasties are a specialty in the UK. Um, and, and, and Greg's is, uh, Greg's is an institution. And I think they even broke the internet when they launched the, um, you know, meatless, uh, uh sausage roll that you're talking about, which yeah. is a, a, a huge step forward for, for plant-based food in the UK and, you know, for its profile and how, how, um, you know, accessible it could be for everyone, you know, uh, mm-hmm. including the, the Greg's staple customer. I think, um, look, you know, London, uh, myself and, and my wife and, and child have just moved from London, uh, having lived there for three years. And our office was in Shoreditch, uh, you know, which is home to, you know, a few doors down from our, 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 our offices, Veggie Pret, <laughs> which was, you know, the vegetarian version of, of the, of the standard Pret that everyone knows from New York, New York and London. And there's some awesome, uh, plant-based restaurants and, and, and takeaways specifically in that part of town, as well as in the North, uh, of the city. But, you know, coming to, to live in New York, you know, you've, you've got comparable things that are based around your culture. So mm-hmm. the, I, I don't know, it must, there must be something in the air, but we, we chose an office, you know, near Flatiron for New York City. And, uh, the, the, the veggie grill has just moved in downstairs. So. It's, uh, you know, there, there are comparable chains that are doing some some really great stuff. Um, at the same time, I think there's just more vegans and vegetarians in the US. And mm-hmm. when you've got more people, you've got more brands trying to service that need. So you've got bigger categories, bigger sections and, and bigger expertise from the consumer's perspective as well. You know, I remember when I was doing market studies for the US from the UK about America and what our launch plan could be and whether we should come here first, you know, the consumers really understood what was in the products. You know, they knew what the ingredients were. They wanted to see the nutritionals, um, you know, way more than I'd experienced previously. And that made us rethink our, our offering. We had to make sure that we were going to serve exactly what the consumers wanted. So uh, can you talk, go into sort of what did you realized the consumers did want. And especially as you're looking into distribution opportunities in the US, uh, was it a more difficult pitch or a more specific pitch trying to get into the to the Whole Foods, which already have a very robust plant-based section? Yeah. The answer is, is you know, kind of a bit flummoxing to most people. The answer <laughs> is that p- people want simple, real food they want to be able to break open the the product and see the ingredients inside. You know, if you take one of our kale and quinoa burgers and you snap it in half, whether it's frozen or cooked, you can see the soybeans, you can see the kale, you can see the puffed quinoa on the outside. And the same goes for, you know, our cauliflower hash browns, which have, you know, six ingredients, all natural, naturally seasoned, you know, nothing in there that isn't something that you could buy from your supermarket, from the fresh produce section in the front of, you know, Whole Foods or Wegmans and, uh, and, and the rest from your pantry. You know, that's amazingly all people want. It's, it's simplicity, it's honesty and, and, and no kind of hidden nasties. Interesting. And so was that just sort of talk, can you talk a little about your initial, like how you approached your initial foray in the U.S., sort of what it took to sort of get a, get a real footing in there here, I should say. 
Sure. So um, first of all, we had to decide, you know, what was going to be our, our, you know, our first team, you know, which products were we going to, to bring to market? And we, we made our business and cut our teeth on being first to market in, the, in, in Ireland. And really, you know, the first brand to market in the UK, there was lots of private label product there, but not um, specifically branded sweet potato fry offerings. And, um, you know, that product is a huge part of our business still is, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's not half, but it's probably, you know, 35, 40% of our total output comes from sweet potato skews, um, mainly into the UK market. And, and the reason for that is because there's a shift away from, um, you know, starchy potato products to fit in with all of the various different healthy lifestyle diets that are that are topical at the moment, or at least where at the time, you know, paleo being one of them and, and um, you know, this kind of immersion into the idea of the, the fit fam uh, handle um, that was kind of, you know, viral on, on Instagram and Facebook at the time. So when we when we decided to put the range together for the US, we didn't really even think twice about the fact that that wouldn't be included. And then when we started looking at the data, um, because as a brand, uh, as a brand speaking directly to the consumers, we live by the data and what it tells us that the consumers want versus what we might want to sell as operators. Um, what it was telling us was that this kind of this category was already commoditized with sweet potato products. You know, the North Carolina uh, sweet potato you know association. I'm not sure if that's the right name for them, but they've been doing huge work with the universities for the last 10 years to try and develop that product. And they've done a great job. And now it's time for something else. So one of the most difficult things we had to do is actually cut our star player, our two star players, uh, and find out what was the best entry point. Um, so that kind of, you know, set us a really big task because when you've got products that are making such an impact in the market, you've got to re- replace them with other heavy hitters so that you can bring those innovative products and trial them without losing out too much. So um, we had to cut those, which was, which was a, you know, a big kind of hit for us. And then we had to understand what the, the US consumer wanted. There's a huge, huge leaning towards you know, plant-based alternative burgers. Um, we felt that you know, for all of the fake alternative you know, uh, you know, versions of things that were out there and that were being derived from other products through a process, we felt that there was an opportunity for a really simple, real version of what we had, which was just simply veggies you know, put together in a patty and, and crumbed with quinoa and dehydrated vegetable flakes to serve a, a more traditional, you know, vegetarian as opposed to someone who is just trying to switch from meat, uh, creating an option for the plate. And and once we understand what the, understood what the opportunity was for that consumer, we realized that there was also an opportunity for side of plate with with potato alternative products that were elevated convenience led. So what I mean by that is our cauliflower hash browns and our mixed root vegetable fries, something that, you know, is different from potato fries or sweet potato fries, but also elevates, you know, the, 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 the premium, premiumization of what's on the plate. And then, you know, the US's absolute adoration for a breakfast hash brown, we couldn't, you know, but, use our collie hash browns as the as the leading uh, skew 
to try and bring some volume into that that potato or breakfast category. So ultimately, it was trying to figure out how how did we win in in three parts of the store and not just one because with a a broad plant based brand, you know, you're talking to to multiple levels, not just you know one single point of entry. Absolutely, I'm really interested in the. I'm interested in this all. This is all so makes a lot of sense and is really fascinating. But uh, I'd love to hear just sort of how you approach specifically the the meat alternatives, because that's such a fascinating portion of the U.S. market right now. And like as someone who has been eating veggie burgers or some iteration of them for 30 years now, it seems like there's been such an interesting trajectory in terms of what they are, what's in them and how they're marketed. And it seems like now because of the rise of impossible and beyond, and they've sort of marketed themselves as like scientifically engineered to taste like meat. And it seems like the marketing is very much on some food innovation as if it's some scientific advance when it's, in my opinion, just a very smart marketing campaign um, that a lot of these have been around for a very long time. And I'd love to just hear your thoughts about focusing on the food itself, which is very different from these other very popular products. Like, how was that? Was was the idea to sort of be in distinction to these other products, or as like how did you sort of view yourself in the in that frozen food, you know, uh, meat alternative aisle in terms of how you branded yourself? Sure. The answer is we don't. Um, the answer is that you know we lead with taste. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to achieve is to make something that's super healthy taste great, which amazingly is a huge downfall of a lot of the vegan, vegetarian, veggie burger patty companies that are out there. You know, we found that they were either too dry or, or tasteless or, you know, um, had too much packaging or, you know, had been absorbed by, you know, a bigger CPG company. And a lot of the, you know, nutrition had been focused on, but not the taste. Our products taste great. You know, they every single one of them, the veggie burgers in particular, are something that, you know, we don't really see our consumer putting between two burger buns. Uh, you know, we have we have used those as an ingredient. We've used those as a falafel replacement. We've used those as a sandwich filler. We've used them as a, you know, a salad topping. Uh a lot of the time people do make them into a sandwich and put them between two slices of bread, but it's actually the, 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 the minority as opposed to the majority. And, and we're trying to, we're trying to be, you know, uh, a Sherpa as a brand, as opposed to, you know, the hero brand marketing campaign in itself. You know, we want to help people eat more veggies without losing the taste element of it, which for me and food is the most important part. So we're not trying to position ourselves against the uh, plant-based meat alternative burgers like the Beyonds, the Impossibles. It's it's not the customer we're trying to get. It's not the the, the sector of the supermarket we're trying to sit in. We're trying to make it easier for fit for, for vegan and vegetarian food to taste great uh, and and not not um focus on on the meat replacement aspect. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. All right, let's go into sort of the last few months, because I imagine setting the groundwork and doing an international expansion and then a global pandemic changes things a lot. Sort of what what were sort of the observations you had? How did your distribution channels react? Did you, you know, did you, how did, what changed sort of beginning in March that you've had to react to? Look, I, I mean, we, we, 
there's a there's a well-told story about frozen food and plant-based food that's been well documented from the point of view that as soon as you know people started going into quarantine and lockdown started to happen that you know there are specific parts of the supermarket that saw a huge uplift uh, and frozen separately to plant-based were two of those places as a result of their health and their you know lack of perishability um we're obviously a global brand so different parts of the world were affected in different ways you know we we export as far as singapore to the east and um you know have lots of business in europe and the middle east and and and, and obviously across the us now so each region was affected differently um overall you know we we our doors were still open we were still operating and unlike most businesses that was you know a phenomenal outcome in in a, you know in a world that was changing so quickly so um you know the first thing that we did was you know make sure that our people uh, understood what was going on for us so you know we we've been really lucky we haven't had to put anyone on furlough we haven't had to make any uh, cuts we have the team we we actually ended up doing a couple of hires in strategic positions that we had planned before march um uh, during uh, the the period that we're in right now so you know the answer is is that we've been able to 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 continue on not quite as we had planned but you know um in, in a much more positive way than than the most in the market we we also we also took the time to you know focus on what opportunities this was bringing you know um and for for people working at home it meant a lot more productivity which we've seen um hugely step up uh with all of our our people from from working from home um so that's been a huge uh a change in in the way that we do business and the way that we'll do business going forward but we we we've, we've looked for unique opportunities to innovate um you know one of those in particular that I'd 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 love to 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 talk about is the the we we set up a, a direct to consumer business by using a a dark kitchen uh called Ghost Truck in Jersey City um where you know we've kind of pivoted into being a food service offering that you can uh order direct to the home through Uber Eats and uh Seamless and and DoorDash and directly from the 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 dark kitchen itself and um that was in direct response to and uh, not being able to to sample in stores and you know that's not so that's something that's not going to come back for for you know some time um with the the risks around um you know cross contamination and infection so we had to find ways to do business in 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 new areas and uh yeah the the team have done a great job so in in making sure that everyone knew that you know their their positions and and place in the world was secure we were able to just get on with with doing business in a, in a new way. So let's that I want to talk with you about the ghost truck cuz that sounds really fascinating. So is it essentially that if I wanted to buy one of your products I could open up Uber Eats or DoorDash and would it would it say strong roots or sort of what what was the process by which you were doing the sampling? Yeah, so um you know uh it it's a good story. I mean, I I live like three blocks from this this dark kitchen, 
and there's some really nice design outside it. Uh, Andrew, who's the the the, the founder and 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 an operator, uh, has done a really good job with this brand because it it caught my eye one day when I was driving past, and I said I really need to get in touch with with uh, whoever runs this place. So did a bit of research online, and then you know um, contacted Andrew and started a, a conversation about you know what we did as a brand you know, how I thought we could collaborate together. And uh, he's, you know, great, you know, forward-looking entrepreneurial guy in himself. And uh, we ended up doing this collaboration since uh, I think we started at the beginning of May, um, which has worked out to be, you know, a win-win for us in being able to sample to our consumers directly and a win-win for him on a, on a product offering that was completely lacking in the area of Jersey City with plant-based foods. So, um, like you've said, we, we, you go onto Uber Eats or you go onto, to Seamless, you search for strong roots. If you're in the postcodes where we're available, which is about six, um, in, on the Jersey side of Manhattan, um, you can order, you know, our cauliflower hash browns have been made into a buffalo sandwich with a, you know, a delicious slaw. You can order our, um, beaten bean burger that's made into um, a, a banh mi type sandwich um, and, and loads of other delicious sides uh, that Andrew's put with it. So what we're able to do from a performance marketing point of view is, is, is choose, you know, key uh, zip codes, focus on uh, the, the people who are shopping in Whole Foods, ShopRite, you know, King's, um, and, and some other uh, stores that are in the neighborhoods and, and essentially give them a try before they buy. Uh, we include coupons and discount codes and, and you know brochures about the products so that we can literally sample inside of the home, um, which is done through purchase uh, for the first time. So it's a super, super simple kind of pivot into an online restaurant business without ever, um, without ever having to set up a restaurant and one of the one of the unbelievable uh, parts about it is that myself and Andrew have never met because of COVID. <laughs> That's and, wild. Um, we uh, we've been speaking, you know, regularly, but uh, all of this happened. This whole business venture happened over over Skype and Zoom and whatever. But you guys live blocks away from each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've we've eaten a lot of the food together, but but virtually. So uh, that's really fascinating uh what is sort of the business dynamic is it that you know i assume that he's selling the food what is the sort of makeup between are you just supplying it and getting cost and then tracking it sort of how how did you do that that business end of things yeah for for us this is a for us this is a marketing activity and what it's what it's brought up is you know there's two potential routes to market for us on this one is obviously the sale into the food service market and being able to create you know, unique menus for other kitchens or dark kitchens that would be able to collaborate on our products, um, you know, uh, bringing a plant-based offering to their to their uh, menu that might be lacking. The second is that ultimately, you know, any dark kitchen or any kitchen with excess capacity in any part of the United States with, uh, you know, accounts to LinkedIn or Seamless have this opportunity to expand their range so, you know, as a part of this whole process, we're, we're, you know, loving to hear from other 
businesses who um, you know have this kind of capacity and would would be willing to try this type of offering. So we we see it as something that both from a marketing perspective as well as a new channel that's going to be able to for us to develop you know across the United States if we can if we can do it with uh, with Andrew um, hopefully we can do it with more. Can you talk a little about the the results you've seen? Have you you know are, are people using your codes? Are you seeing shopping lifts in the stores and those zip codes? Yeah, yes, for both. So we can see that you know um, quite a large percentage over the average of um, uh, coupon use is is quite high in the stores in the area. Um, you know, the U.S. customer is a great user of coupons in the first place. So um, you know, seeing it maybe five to 10 points, depending on the retailer, higher than the average use is great. And then, um, you know, I haven't seen the sales figures this week yet, but I know in the last couple of weeks, a couple of our items um, have usurped the, the top selling items on the menu uh, to become number one and two um, on specific days of the week where people are clearly trying to cut down their meat consumption. Because another thing to remember is that, you know, um, the original uh, business is not a, a plant-based business. So we um, we were the first kind of formation of that menu. So it's bringing new customers to him. It's bringing new customers to us. Um, and it's also kind of, um, you know, bringing the sales up at the same time. So it really is a, a win all around. Wow, that's so interesting. So how are you, you said you're looking into other locations around the country. Are you reaching out to other dark kitchen providers there? Sort of, are you looking into the bigger players? I know that there are some that have, that you know, have hubs nationally. How are, how are you approaching this expansion or is it just sort of a wait and see situation? Yeah, for us at the moment, we're, we're building a case study. So um, as soon as we have enough, you know, legitimate data over a longer period that makes sense for similar populated areas with a similar demographic of consumer and buyers and interest in plant-based, you know, we can see this being being a much bigger uh, presented item for us, both from a, a channel sales opportunity as well as a marketing one. So um, we have our own targeted regional approach to to sales in the US, which we're, we're honing at the moment. And um, in those markets where it makes sense, um, we'll definitely be looking for more partners. So if there's if there's any listening or you know of any, please do let us know. And you mentioned that this is, uh, you know, your approach to DTC. Have you how have you done any other approaches to direct or e-commerce or is this just, you know, you've been going into the stores and now are doing this on a sort of market by market basis? We have a lot of um Partnership as a result of the bricks and mortar relationships that we have with the retailers, both in the UK and the US. You know, we we have a lot of support for their online platforms themselves. Um, in the UK, there's a, there's a, there's also a few dedicated online retailers like Ocado and Amazon Fresh. Um, in, interestingly, um, I referenced the sweet potato fries in the previous conversation. You know, those products um, were actually pulled along with the rest of the range in the UK. I think there's six items now um, for uh, ultra fast delivery on Amazon. Uh, I think it's called Amazon Prime now, where in mm -hmm. 30 minutes, uh, Amazon have our products listed for delivery in certain parts of the UK. So we have been, you know, using, uh, you know, the bigger platforms that exist in, in that market specifically really well over the last two to three years. 
And we, we intend to continue to do that in the US with, you know, the same or similar partners. And then in addition to that, within the next couple of years, um, we've been doing some new product development on specific product territories, which will see us enter the race into um, direct to consumer uh, with, with, you know, similar products to what we've got at the moment, but more tailored for, for in the home. That's interesting. What have your, have you found like with Amazon that pretty much it sounds like given that you went with the sweet potato fries, that it's been the more commoditized products that have resonated most with people who use that, use that platform. Has that been your observation? How did you have to, how, how have you sort of approached being part of such a big and ubiquitous platform like that? Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I think, um, one of the things that we see a huge difference in is is how our brand performs online. So we we are you know we are we have a very stylized look and feel. It's current. Uh, it's actually currently going under a bit of a refresh, um, so that we continue to stay relevant. But but you know how we look is a hugely important part of how we um, perform online. We test you know similar products in the market. We test. Um, better than legacy and traditional brands all of the time because the consumer for the majority of who's shopping online just gets the product when it's you know front and center more and more and because we understand how to market to our customers and we understand when they're shopping and we understand you know the significance of the data of what they want and when they want it i think we have a little bit of an edge in terms of how we perform on those bigger platforms versus um, the legacy brands who've traditionally done better and built the businesses for brick and mortar retailers. Um, so um, we perform really well uh, in comparison to, to competition. And um, I think uh, that kind of legitimizes why we would you know, make future investment to, to extrapolate that into our, into our own offering. Absolutely. Just given all of the crazy changes to the market, and you said that, you know, being both plant-based and frozen, what you had an overall, you know, things haven't been as bad as compared to other industries, but have, are you, are you still operating with the same sales expectations and growth expectations or have, the, have those been altered over the last few months because of, you know, global pandemic, et cetera? We have luckily been able to maintain our business plan for 2020, which is an amazing thing to be mm-hmm. able to say at this point of the year. Um, I think, you know, we're, you know, not to get into, you know, the mire of it, but, you know, we're not sure how the rest of the year is going to pan out. So we're super focused on delivering the numbers that we had at the start of the year, which were substantial, which incurred huge growth on 2019 and, uh, you know, should see us get to close to, you know, as a group, about $30 million, uh, which, you know, is almost double from the previous year. So, we we've we've had a huge ambitious plan this year and and luckily for us we're we're, we're still to plan is the U, the US is currently your biggest market or is the where where do you have your most sales uh c- currently just on on the basis of timing uh, the US would would be our you know second or third biggest market the UK because of the amount of time that we've been there and, and the mm-hmm. population is obviously the biggest uh, but the U.S. is emerging as our, as you know, soon to be our biggest in the relative short term. Well, Sam, this has been such an interesting conversation. I really love talk chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. Our producer is Pierre Bienname, who also produced our theme music. 
If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.